0: The Inclusive Church. So we've been doing this series that we've been calling Jesus Keeps It Moving. We're actually wrapping it up next week. And you're like, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you're like, well, you're only at 10. You didn't do all the chapters. (laughs) How could you be wrapping it up? But that was our plan to look at the birth of the church, the pouring out of the spirit, and what kind of church was born, you know, We call it Jesus Keeps It Moving because, you know, part one is Luke, the gospel according to Luke. Acts is the sequel. Luke is the author of Acts. And he continues to talk about how Jesus is moving. And yet Jesus has died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven, is at the right hand of God. So how is Jesus moving still? He's moving through his people by His Spirit. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, I have experienced that in my life. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I have. Maybe you're thinking, I have, but I want to experience it more. So that's why we're in this series, right? How Jesus keeps it moving. Our final message is actually going to be next week. And my pastor, Doug Logan, is going to come and share with us about the church that won't stop from Acts 13 through all adversity, through all kinds of problems, internal, external. That's a a message we need to hear as we gear up to plant a church in a town where the trend of every single church is to die. And look, I'm part of the ministerium. I'm a fan of all the churches. I'm not rooting for any of them to die, but that's the reality. That's the reality. And so if we are going to see a church here in Gloucester that grows, that's healthy, that's real, where people are meeting God, where people are loved, where families formed, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> We're going to face all kinds of problems. It's going to be really hard. But our study of Acts, and you know, it's been this wide-angle, big-picture study from the birth. It's been this look at this counterculture of love, right? It's the birth of this counterculture of real spiritual power. This counterculture of Jesus. Exactly what we long for God to do here as he births Epiphany Church in Gloucester City. And I mean that. This isn't like putting together a business and putting signs out and then just expecting people to show up. People's lives have to change. People have to be healed. People have to be relieved from depression. People who are cut off and lonely and struggling have to be welcomed into a family. This is stuff that only God can do. But tonight, we are going to look at, in particular, from Acts chapter 10, we're going to look at the inclusive church. So we're praying to be a lot of things. One of the things we're praying to be is an inclusive church, right? And all through the book of Acts, we see God breaking barriers. And God is going to use Paul to break the last and biggest barrier. Last week, we talked about, we heard about Paul getting saved, him getting knocked off his horse, He's going to be the messenger to the nations. But before he uses Paul in that way, Paul gets saved and then he's just sort of on deck. <laughs> now we've got the story of Peter. We, we got the story of the one who's been leading the church. So every time the spirits poured out and something big happens, who's the one that's recorded as preaching and speaking? It's Peter up to this point. In Acts, it's about to switch. But up to this point, the church is pretty much in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we sort of see a table of context for the book. It says that he's going to pour out his spirit, and they're going to go throughout Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we see in the book of Acts from the beginning, God promises this what's going to happen the gospel is going to spread from one geographic circle to a wider, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And and we're starting to see that. What's going to happen later is James is going to take over Jerusalem. Paul's going to be in Rome. He's going to, I mean, Peter's going to move on to Rome and and Paul's just going to be everywhere. (laughs) Sharing the gospel, planting churches everywhere. I want to... uh, Uh, We're going to read portions, not the whole thing. We're going to read most of Acts 10, 1 to 26. Please turn with me to page 976 in your Red Church Bible or whatever Bible you've got. It's in Acts. It's Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 26. There was a man in Caesarea, in Caesarea, named Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and he feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, Cornelius, Staring in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, had gone, he called his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were traveling near the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open, and an object that resembled a large sheet came down being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals, reptiles of the earth, and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, What God has made clean, do not call impure this happened 3 times and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven while peter was deeply perplexed about the vision he came he seen, vision he had seen might mean right away the men who had been sent by cornelius having asked directions to simon's house stood at the gate they were calling out asking if simon who was also named peter was lodging there when Simon was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them. No doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you were looking for. We're going to move down to verse 27. While talking with them, he went in and found a large gathering of people. And Peter said to them, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with one or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for so that you may ask why you sent me. Cornelius replied four days ago at this hour at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house just then a man dazzling and dazzling clothes stood before me. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa to invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So immediately I sent for you and it was good of you to come So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord to say. And I meant to read, I meant to read verse 25. When Peter entered, this is like the house of Cornelius, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I myself am also a man. we see in this text that Simon's living with this tanner. Now, a tanner is somebody who works with dead animals. Okay? They they, they take the skin of the animals, they dry them in the sun, they make tents, and all of that. So the tanning, it's animal skins. So somebody like that was actually already a ritually unclean person. Peter is already making concessions, seeing God is doing something new. He's breaking barriers down. And you see sort of this, this movement. But, but now all of a sudden, you've got this guy, Cornelius. This is a little different. This is a little different than just someone that you're living with that you know, happens to work with dead animals. Cornelius is a centurion. Okay, so that means that there are six centuries six groups of a hundred people, hundred men that he was in charge of. So he's this Italian guy that's in charge of 600 men. So he's, he's the oppressor, right? I mean, he's, he's up there. He's not just some nobody. This is a powerful man. And all of a sudden God is telling Simon, I got to go to this guy's house. Scary. It's really, really scary. You know, and there has been all kinds of signs that the gospel was going beyond Israel. But again, this was different. This was really different. This is Peter's straight street. Remember last week? Talked about how Gloucester's got a street named Straight. (laughs) How, how there's places that we got to go that we don't want to go. So Ananias has a vision and he says, you got to go to this place called street straight street where this guy Saul lives. And, and then you got to tell him about me. And, and, and Ananias is like, no, how? I mean, Saul persecutes Christians. Saul's a violent man. Everybody knows about him. And yet God used Ananias to go over there and to share the gospel. And Paul believed. God is breaking barriers. He's breaking barriers with the religious. Now he's breaking barriers with the the soldier, right? With the one that's outside the camp. He's not even Jewish. I I remember going down to Kinko's. In southern Delaware, they call southern Delaware the lower, the slower lower. And Delaware is kind of like a miniature U.S. And up north, it's very industrial and it feels like the north. But pretty quickly, you start moving south, it feels like the south. Very rural. And my friend who was planning a church and I was helping him was just getting some stuff public, you know, some flyers printed at Kinko's. And we go inside... And I remember very clearly my friend who was a professor in Kenya. So he had people work for him. He had people living in his house, serving, watching his kids, cleaning his house. He was an important man. You know, spoke with that very articulate British accent, had many degrees. He naturally walks behind the counter to the printer, excited to see his flyers, but the, you know, 16-year-old white kid, veins start popping out of his head. <laughs> There's this adult black guy coming behind the counter, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Now, I know for sure in that situation, if I had done it, it wouldn't have been a big deal. He was stressed out. There was a barrier. And I got to watch this guy, who was a good friend and who I knew in Kenya because I had met him there and been and ate at his house, and I watched him when he, he settled in America, and he went from being a professor to working in hospice, because all his education didn't mean anything in this country, and he had to start all over again. I watched this guy go from not knowing the rules, not knowing the barriers assuming the best to slowly over time kind of developing that thick skin and that that sort of stereotypical angry black guy thing over the like six years of him living here. Because he first came in, he was just like, he was just like expected everybody to treat him like, you know, I'm an educated guy. (laughs) So, we know about barriers. And I know that's not the only one (laughs) at all. But the racial divide between Jews and the nations was far greater, even than the racial divides here in America. For example, Peter, growing up as a Jew, would know that you never enter into a home of a Gentile, you never have a meal with a Gentile, which is just the the word for nation other <laughs> anybody that's not a Jew is what Gentile means. You never touched a Gentile, and if you accidentally did, you would have to ceremonially clean yourself because you'd become unclean. And Jewish men would go to the synagogue because you know the, the, there wasn't a, there was a spl- place in the synagogue for the women, but but it was far on the outskirts. Of the synagogue. But Jewish men would go into the synagogue or into the temple and they would pray. And and this is not just like me spinning some yarn, you can look it up. (laughs) They would say, you know, in Hebrew, I thank you, God, that I wasn't born a Gentile and that I wasn't born a woman. This story experienced by Peter, the one whom Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom It's written for us here and retold for us in the next chapter. This story gets a lot of real estate in a book about the birth of the church. That's only 28 chapters long. And two of them are devoted to this telling this the first time, then him, Peter going to Jerusalem and telling it again. This is a big freaking deal. This story is a big, big deal because peter the one whom jesus left as a you know the first among equals among the apostles has to open up the church it's him everybody's looking to him and he goes in and he breaks all the rules <laughs> he breaks all the rules yeah, we're going to get to that. We want to break the rules here in Gloucester <laughs> and be an inclusive community. But you might be wondering, how we, you know, can we get to any page in the book of Acts and there not be visions and miracles and that kind of stuff? And the answer is no. After the resurrection, the apostles lived in an extraordinary time. And you know, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't, they didn't have a Bible to read. The Bible is being written and everywhere they would go, these new cities, God was gracious to confirm that these stories that people were hearing, which were just, you know, retold orally, people would just hand down, like, did you hear what happened? Did you hear about this man, Jesus? He's the Messiah. And God would confirm his message through these amazing signs and wonders. The old prophet Isaiah would say, is God's arm too short? And of course, he's not talking about like uh, God, like having a body. It's, 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 it's a metaphor. God is able to open up eyes. God is able to step into people's lives. God is able to heal, to fix situations, to make things happen. But he uses people of faith. And in a context like we're in, He will use people of faith, trusting in him. And then he will move and confirm the truth of his word. I mean, let's talk for like a minute about Peter's trippy vision, right? He's got this pretty weird vision. And um, probably the sheet that, that Peter sees. Now you can imagine this. The sheet is the same word in the Greek here as like a sail. So Peter's sitting on his roof by the sea in Joppa. And there's all these boats. He's hungry. And the people down, they know it like, you know, his wife or, you know, whoever's working in the house. They're like getting something ready. But he's hungry. He's up there. He's praying. And he sees these sails. And all of a sudden, this, he, he moves from the seen world <laughs> To the unseen world. And all of a sudden, this massive sail that covers the entire sky comes down, right? And there's this vision of these animals. And in the Old Testament, there were different kinds of animals. And some of them were clean, and some of them weren't. And there were all these rules and rituals. And the idea was that God wanted to communicate that my people need to be different than all the other nations on earth. So you're going to have a very special diet. You are going to dress a specific way. You, you're going to do things different than anybody else. But now, Peter sees his vision, and the angel tells Peter, kill and eat these unclean animals. What does Peter say? Yeah, he's like, no way. Peter has this habit of telling God, the maker of the universe, to his face, no. (laughs) Right? Jesus wraps his cloak around his waist and is washing the feet of all of his disciples. And he gets to Peter near the end. And Peter's like, there's no way you're going to wash my feet, Lord. (laughs) A few days before that, that was the night before Jesus Died A few days before that, they're on the outskirts of Jerusalem. They know they're about to enter hostile territory. They know that Jesus' arrest warrant is out there, right? And Jesus says, I have to go and I have to die. And Peter says, no way. In that situation, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He just rebukes him. But in this situation, the angel just does, just repeats himself. And I mean, sometimes that's the best strategy, right? With their kids. Sometimes it's just like, you'll catch up. This is what's happening. You'll, you'll catch up. This is what's going to happen. Okay? I made these things clean. I made this food clean. You can eat it. I'm just going to ignore the fact that you just told the maker of the entire universe who holds your life in the palm of his hands and can end you with a breath. I'm just going to ignore that. I'm just going to repeat myself, and then, then the vision's over. You know... Peter is is someone we can relate to, right? Peter has that rebellious streak. He puts his foot in his mouth. Some of us, that's something that we can relate to. And the thing is, God still uses Peter. God uses Peter in a powerful way. You know, Paul says confidently, in whatever way you think, like if you think differently, like when he's writing to the, the Philippians, like there's divisions in the church. He's like, listen, if people think differently, you know, they're, they're going to come around. They're going to come around. And we need some of that. We need some of that. We, we, we cannot fight every battle. (laughs) We we cannot, we cannot, you know, draw a line in the sand for every single thing. But in this story, we see, we, we see this vision and then we see, that Peter actually goes because the people come to his house and then he, he hears from the Spirit. And that's interesting. It says the Spirit told him. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Did the Spirit tell Peter in a voice? Like, Peter, you know? Like, that's, that's very clear in the visions. That's exactly what happened. But God speaks to us in all kinds of different ways. And maybe some of you have even experienced some of these different ways. I definitely have experienced both of these ways, like where things are just like in my face, super clear, but also times when I'm just overwhelmed in my spirit with confidence that this is God's will. And I don't know, maybe that's what happened here, where Peter, he gets this vision and it's trippy and it's weird and he doesn't even understand it. Now, Ananias got a really clear vision. Last week, we talked about Ananias got a vision where it said, this is the name of the street. <laughs> this is the time you got to go. This is the name. This is what you're going to do. It's super specific. But Peter gets this vision and it's like, it's like really weird. And he doesn't know what it means. And the text says he doesn't know what it means. He's troubled. And yet he kind of goes with the spirit. The, he's, the, the spirit says there's going to be these three guys. You're going to go with them. <laughs> And sometimes that's all God gives us. You know, we're driving down the road. It's really foggy. And we don't have those, the good car that has the fog lights. We just have the regular lights. And we can only see about 10 feet in front of us. So we've got to slow down and just go the 10 feet we can see. And then the next 10 feet we can see. And then the next 10 feet we can see. And then we saw in that, 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 that's that verse that I missed about how Peter, you know, tells Cornelius who, who falls down and worships him. What does he tell him? Get up. Get up. I'm only a man, right? So these two guys are breaking the rules in a huge way. Cornelius is breaking the rules because Cornelius is bowing before this peasant Jew, right? Uneducated guy. He's bowing before him. And Peter's breaking the rules because he's going into this home of this guy who's in charge of 600 men who's Italian. And that's just not what you... And this guy named John Stott, who really helped me with a lot of this, his commentary on this text, he says, Peter refused to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a God and to treat Cornelius as if he were a dog. So Peter would not treat Cornelius as either. He wouldn't let Cornelius treat him as a God and he wouldn't treat Cornelius as a dog because that was like what you did then. If you were a Jew, the, the most common phrase in all of the writings of this era is like after Gentile, the word dog comes Gentile dog, right? It's not a compliment. I know in Gloucester, we love our pets, but (laughs) dog also means something bad, (laughs) right? This is what it was like every day when we, uh, we lived in Africa, we would walk around. We lived for four years in Africa. And we'd walk around. We literally had people taking out their camera and videotaping us. <laughs> Every time we'd sit in a restaurant, you know, random people would come up and just, like, touch us. You know what I mean? Touch the hair, like, really fascinating. And people would treat us like some kind of monster that they're angry with. <laughs> or like, like, like a massive celebrity. <laughs> you know? like some dogish freakish thing or like a god that's, that's that's there was no in between but the gospel brings people who are really different from each other and makes them brothers and makes them equal makes them family and that's what we would do is you know when we were expected to be served and be up here or if we were expected to to to, to or if there was a desire to unload and be angry, be like, we're gonna let you be angry. It wasn't not. I mean, I didn't personally do anything, but I'm gonna let you be angry with me, right? Because the gospel brings us together on the same place as equals. Let me bring it. Let me bring it down to earth. I remember when I started college and I went to this community college and I remember registration day. That's fun. You're in this big room. Nobody knows where to go. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody's ever been there before. And you know, people that work behind windows aren't like the most often the most helpful you know, they, they know the system, and they're just frustrated that you don't, <laughs> right? And the high school version of me would have been, like, crushed because I would have just been in that crowd, and I just would have thought, <clears throat> like, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. Like, I probably just would have moonwalked out of that room. <laughs> but I've ha- I had a couple years working, you know, in this tool shop, I I had the opportunity to do some other work. And, you know, I grew up a little bit, and I remember sitting in that office, sitting with all those people and starting to think, like, I don't know what's going on, but as I look into people's eyes all around me, neither do they. And I was able to get outside of myself and just be like, maybe I could help somebody, or maybe we can commiserate together. Like, I don't know what's going on. You know what's going on? <laughs> and maybe together we can figure it out. I just, I just realized that, that everybody is going through the same process in this life. And we're always trying to impress each other, right? And we're always trying to be identified by something that's precious to us. You know, the need to impress is like being on the hamster wheel. You run and run and run, but you stay in the same place and you don't get anywhere. And now we got tools to do it really well called Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So we've always tried to do this. This is human nature. I remember before any of that came, right? We were trying to impress people before, but now we've got like, now we can impress like a thousand or 2,000 people that we don't care about, know, or love, (laughs) right? And, and, And this comes, why am I talking about this? This comes to the kind of church we want to be back to the story. We want to be a church where barriers are broken down. We want to be a community that's inclusive. We want to be a place that's really known. You might have heard me say this before, but we can be a community that's impressive, or we can be a community where people are truly known and love. We can't be both. And I've visited a lot of church communities. And unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, people are impressive. The, the community is impressive. There's lots of rules to keep it that way. There's lots of unseen things. You're supposed to do certain things. You're supposed to know how things go. And if you don't, you feel like you're on the outside. And we don't want to be like that. You know? Cultures are different. We talked about that. Personalities are different. We're talking about that. You know, people, we've got people. We're going to have to be a community where there are people who are coming out of recovery and that's a certain kind of culture, a certain kind of personality. And then we've got other people who have loved ones who have died of addiction and they hate, and I mean hate, Drugs. And then we've got other people who are going to come here who haven't experienced either, and the whole thing is extremely foreign to them. And we've got to be a family together. We've got to seek to understand each other. Other people around you, it may not be as extreme as dog or God, but we often put people above us or below us. And we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to do that anymore. Peter is going to tell the Jerusalem church, look, this guy, Cornelius, this soldier of 600 men, he confessed his sins, he repented, and he was given the Holy Spirit. Now I know that God doesn't show any favoritism. And we need to be a community that believes that God doesn't show any favoritism. But I just want to tell you, as a pastor, for whatever it's worth, I know that the church has beat people up and excluded people on a lot of different things, you know, that surprise tattoo, that, that, that abortion, you know, drinking, smoking, talking different, same-sex attraction. I want you to hear this. Jesus' entire message was, it's the heart that matters. It's the heart that matters. And he can challenge you without condemning you. He challenges you where you are and what you're doing. It's not like he's just like, oh, you're great the way you are. No, he's like, I love you the way you are, but I also love you so much that I'm going to transform you. (laughs) Like change is coming. (laughs) Things are going to happen. Because listen, we are selfish, all of us. We are confused and we are lost and we need each other and we need guides and we need to change. But the Bible calls that that calls that calls change repentance. But we aren't here to beat each other up. And for those who are on different parts of the journey, we're not here to shame people. We need to be an inclusive church. Now, I'm a pastor and part of, you know, that word in the Greek, it means shepherd, right? It means somebody like, who takes care of animals and walks with them. And part of what a pastor does is I get to be with you in the best moments of your life if you let us and in the worst. You know, you get married, have a kid. I'll go visit you. Hold that baby, pray for that baby. Do that wedding, right? Also get to be there when everything's falling apart. And you're struggling and you're suffering. But another part of what a pastor does is not just take care and feed and love the sheep, but also scare away the wolves. And I have to let you know that some, there's different species of wolves, but one of the big species of wolves is the self-righteous wolf. (laughs) And there's not a month that hasn't gone by. Sometimes it's every week where I've had to chase away folks who are like, you are letting people ask questions at a bar. You are doing this and that. Like, what are you doing? How are you accepting these people? We are here to be a church for people who aren't necessarily church people. That's what we're going to do, okay? And as a pastor, I'm going to have to chase away some people sometimes that want to come in and have a loud voice and are like, I can't handle the way things are going here. Just as how it is. You know, it's, it's not easy. I want you to hear, I want you to hear tonight as I wrap up, that... The Holy Family, this connects. The, the, the Holy Family, who's the, what's the Holy Family? I'm talking particularly about Jesus, Mary, right? Joseph, because we're, we're getting near that time. We're getting near that time when we think about, you know, Christmas and all that stuff. Guess what? The Holy Family is a mixed family. <laughs> the Holy Family has a stepdad, we love mixed families. We love people wherever they're at. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I would leave the radio station on this like, Christian channel accidentally once in a while, not to like bug my mother, but I just would do it just absentmindedly. And she would come to me in tears and talk to me about how She had enough religion forced down my throat. That was good for you, but you need to change the channel. (laughs) Right? Now, in her story, she left a dude who was abusive and a drunk. But that guy, who was still womanizing, still abusive, and still drinking, was a good member and standing of the Knights of Columbus, Like the men's group for Catholics, he would be able to be in part of the service, be celebrated, and because of the rules at that time, the way it worked was she was the bad guy because she left him, and she was done. She was done with the church thing. That was my mom. Maybe you here or those who are listening to the podcast have experienced hurt from the church. I just want to say it again. As a pastor, I'm sorry, but that's not what Jesus was about. He was about starting this counterculture of love, of movement, of inclusion. And guess what? You will be transformed. We're not taking that away. You will be changed. Jesus will turn your life upside down. There are changes that need to happen, but he loves you. He loves you. He doesn't love a future version of you that's doing all right and is fixed up. He loves you right now. He died for you. That's the whole point of the gospel, that he was sacrificed for you. He went to the cross for you. So let's be like Peter. You know, let's be, you know, I don't think anybody has a roof deck. But if you do, please let me know. I'll come over and pray on it. (laughs) You got one, Dylan? You wish? (laughs) Maybe in your new house. (laughs) But have a place like Peter had. Pray. Be willing to listen to God. Be willing to go where he calls you. Be willing to share your love and your life with people that you might think are like too good for you or maybe too bad for you. It doesn't matter. And be willing to be used by God. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love. Lord, I pray that this community would be an inclusive one. Like it's hard for us to wrap our heads around how much hatred the Jews had for the Gentiles. And yet, after Peter went to Cornelius' house and baptized him and left, he went in an enemy, but he left a brother. We pray for that here in Gloucester. We pray that people who just get on our nerves, we pray that people who just are different from us, we pray that people who we just don't know how to relate to, that you would make us family. We pray that our community would be a greenhouse where people can grow in faith at all different speeds, grow in love and grow in hope. Lord, we pray that you would use us. And finally, Lord, I pray for our meal as we gather downstairs, Lord. Bless it to our bodies. Help us to have sweet conversations. Help us to love each other.